Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, ready? All right, one, two, three. You weren't ready. One. Are we going? Mm-hmm. But you didn't do it either. I'm just waiting for you to actually put your hands together. You're counting, so I figured you would be the one to go. No, you do it. You do it now. I don't like it. One, two, three. We did it. Okay. That was hard. I broke a sweat, literally. Like, look at me. <laughs> Hey there, beautiful celestial. Stop that, Allie girl. Stop that. You feel so authoritative with your pen. I, I know. My pen is really helping me deliver some points today. I feel like I'm getting extra scolded. <laughs> Real. This is my defense mechanism today, is the pen. Hi, dear listeners. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this conversation. Welcome back to Taboos. We are a podcast that talks about taboo culture with foul mouths and drinks in hand. Welcome. Hey, hey, hey. How goes it on this Thursday? You know, uh, I've been dreading this moment. It does not go well over here at our house. For anybody who has listened to today's episode, meaning the episode that aired today the day we're recording our free the nipples episode so good oh my god can we just take one second to acknowledge such a fucking hilarious episode hilarious i still can't get over the hula portion (laughs) i say some stupid shit i don't know how y'all put up with me i really don't i just really say it's just here's the thing i have been going through a lot and i honestly forgot that we've recorded that episode i can't lie about it i forgot about it entirely and thank the universe for the timing because that would have been insane but today when i listened to the episode i honestly got to listen to it like a listener as if i am not on this show and i wasn't part of that conversation because again i completely forgot that we had it so that was really really cool and also weird as fuck And also, you guys, I say some stupid fucking shit. Why do y'all put up with me? I asked myself that question like three times today while I was listening to the episode. Like specifically, I think I even texted you one of them. Like my titties don't reproduce anything but milk and milkshakes. Like what the fuck is wrong with me? I love all of your random scenes. They're golden. But to get to the point, uh, we recently had some medical developments with our kitten Static, who... Unfortunately, on Monday, we were forced to surrender due to unforeseen medical extremes. Uh, We were really, truly put in a life or death situation. And due to other health complications, he will not be returning home 
that we are aware of. Do you mind if I add on to that? I don't want to expand on your story, but I feel like there needs to be clarity. No, go ahead. I am not the right person to do it anyway. So, dear listeners, just to let you know, Static has not passed. He is still around, but Celeste and Tiny made the very brave decision to surrender him in order to ensure that his quality of life can be fulfilled for the future life that he will need because it will be a very expensive and complicated one. And I want to call that out because it's not an easy decision by any means. Pets are family. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. And if you disagree, please exit the podcast and see me later where I can punch you directly in the face and we'll talk about it. After she's punched you in the face, you're going to talk about it just so you know. At least they'll be sitting down. It's true though. Static is a part of our family. This is the hardest thing we've ever faced together. Tiny and I at a point that she was old enough to understand what we were facing. And uh, I know life is not kind often and life is not kind to so many people but life has been very unkind to us lately as a whole and this was honestly just something I never saw coming and I'm really so grateful that Static will have the opportunity at a long and healthy life filled with so much love in ways that we would never be able to give him just within our house and I'm very lucky to have found someone to help me make his transition to his new living situation very comfortable. But fuck you guys. Real. So anyway, uh, I actually think that there are parts of this story that will come up again later because today's topic is connected to some of my feelings about this exact situation. But before we get into today's research, how was your day today? My day was okay. I'm really just tired. I've been sleeping like absolute shit lately, so I'm just ready for bed and better sleep. Whatever that means. Totally understandable. Um. Also, though, we must call out, this is our first time recording in the month of July. Do you know what's in the month of July? I do know what's in the month of July. <laughs> Everybody's birthday! True. But yours specifically. <laughs> also true. So happy birthday month. To the one, the only, the beautiful, the amazing Ellie girl. Oh, look, going around the sun again. I can't wait to celebrate another year of you, baby. Did you do anything super special and fun and amazing to celebrate your birthday? I did not work. I love that answer, though. (laughs) Uh, I didn't really do anything. I just relaxed and worked on a side project and, oh, I got a massage. That was great. Ooh, Get it, girl. That made me decide that I am definitely going to pursue something for my migraines and hopefully massage was within that healing plan because, oh, God, that was so great. I love that healing plan. Super jealous of that healing plan. Yep. That was it, though. I love that. I'm glad you had a relaxing birthday. Same. Can I ask you what you're drinking today as your first in July birthday month recording drink? I don't know. I needed to make it special somehow. (laughs) Indeed. So Nick actually picked up this for me. That was the weirdest sentence I maybe have ever formed on our podcast. No, I mean, it's up there, but no, it's not your worst. (laughs) It is a Leinenkugel's Session Hellas. That's a lot of words. I've never heard those words with a Leinenkugel's before. Very small type on this beer. So here we go. Leinenkugel's Session Hellas is a bright, light-bodied beard 
beard. Beard. It's a light body beard. <laughs> Brewed with traditional hops and select. You just called your beer a white boy beard. Hashtag light body beard. Well, light. Well, yes, light bodied beer. Beard gonna forever be the wrong name now. Brewed with traditional hops and select Munich malt with just the right amount of bitterness for the style and a crisp finish. It's made to be enjoyed all day. Keep it stocked for a full day lounging by the water. Which I agree. I normally don't drink a lot of light beers, but this is really refreshing. Nice. I'm very glad to hear that. How does it rank next to like a summer shandy? I don't really like summer shandy a whole lot, which is weird because I like lemon. So you would think I would. But you're more of a blue moon preference, right? Blue moon actually triggers my migraines, ironically. Oh. Um, It's like spotted cow, but smoother. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. I think spotted cow is one of the more smooth lemon beers. So that's actually a really interesting feedback. And now I'm curious to try it. What are you drinking over there? I am drinking Crook and Marker. I have put off tasting the coconut flavor long enough, and per our girl Kayla's instruction, the coconut was a must, and she was correct. Coconut was a must. I am deeply shamed that I have waited this long to drink it. It's been in my fridge for weeks, and I actually recognize as I'm drinking it, it truly does taste like real coconut. You can't taste the alcohol in it at all. It really tastes like you're drinking coconut water, like, but not coconut water that tastes like coconut water. It's water that literally tastes like coconut. Yeah. And then all I can think about is the fact that when I took Tiny to Chicago, she tried real coconut for the first time. And I did not realize my kid had a food aversion to anything, but she about lost her fucking shit when she tried coconut for the first time. And now I cannot stop hearing about how much she hates coconut. And it hurts my feelings every time. Does she not like the flavor or the texture? All of it. She hates all of it. She got like a, so we went to Jamba Juice and she got like a smoothie bowl and she was so excited about it. And it was just like the smoothie bowl that we have at one of our juiceries here. But instead of like little granular pieces of coconut, it had like larger flakes of coconut, which I didn't think was a big deal. Apparently she can't taste them in the one from our juicery because they're like grated and they're really really thin but she got a flake of coconut in her mouth and I have never seen her gag so fast that's a lie when she was a baby the first time she had avocados instant gag it was like that like she just instantly was like nope I'm not doing this it was I think the taste and the texture and she like pulled it out of her mouth and she's like mom how dare you feed me this what is this how dare you try to poison me That's exactly what it was. I was like, bro, that's coconut. So good. And and she was like, this is vile. And I was like, okay, you need to stop being around me so much because it's really obnoxious how much you sound like me at this point. And that was our conversation about it. She's clearly neither of our childs. Child? Kid? I give up. Children's. But don't you worry. I hear about that every day too. Can you please tell us what today's episode is about so I can stop talking and making an ass out of myself? I would love to. Today's topic is actually one that was voted in by popular demand. A few weeks ago, I threw out a poll on our socials that asked people what topic they would want to hear about if we gave them the options of the following. Dysfunctional families, imposter syndrome, or I don't remember the third one. 
Did we have three or was it just two? 401k. 401k plans. Thank you, Allie girl. All topics that I think should be on our radar and to be discussed. However, according to popular demand, today's episode will be none other than imposter syndrome. I was just thinking about how that would I go mean, if I did the probably pretty close to the way that I just did it. I really fucked that drum roll up. Not even remotely. <laughs> okay, well, now I need you to try it, please. I love that you're really thinking about it. I can see the gears turning. No, I'm just preparing for the idiotic sound that's about to come out of my mouth. <laughs> yes. Yes. Loved it. Excellent tongue rolling, baby. It was beautiful. Sound effects who? Seriously, that was like a soundboard if I've ever heard one. I am super excited to talk about this topic. Are you familiar with imposter syndrome? Sort of. So I have a lot of learning to do here. That's fair. Understandable. I actually am also curious, before we get started on this, I know that we've talked about it a little bit, but some of the feedback that I got on our poll, which is not bad feedback at all, but it was unexpected, to be honest, was that imposter syndrome sounds quote unquote fake or that people don't necessarily understand how it could be real. And again, I totally understand that that can be just a lack of understanding and education and perspective without question. So not judging or hating if this is your position, but I'm curious, are you of the position that imposter syndrome is not real or are you of the position of, I just don't know enough about it? Uh, I think I believe it's real, but I think I need to learn more about it regardless to like fully understand what it is. That's absolutely fair. Shout out to anybody who is of the camp of this is not a real thing. I absolutely understand where you're coming from, and I really hope that this episode helps you get to the point of helping you recognize this in somebody you care about, if not maybe even in yourself. And with that, I would like to lead us into our disclaimer. Yay, disclaimers. Love that. Thank you. Thank you for being the cheerleader today. I'm so grateful for you. I'll get there. Not a problem. So today's disclaimer reads, Allie and I are not medical professionals, and the information presented in this episode is based on research and experience, both personally and professionally. Just like any form of mental health concern, each person's experience or understanding of the following is as unique as each of us individually. Imposter syndrome is not a quote-unquote technical diagnosis. And I want to be really clear about that going into this. If you go to a mental health professional on the subject, they should be familiar with the experience and the concept you're referring to. And talking about it in that space could be really beneficial for you. However, you won't ever leave an office of a credible anyone who would ever diagnose you with this simply because it is more of a construct that humans make and can unmake for ourselves as an extension of our self-love and acceptance. Imposter syndrome can look like a lot of things, but it only comes from one place, and that is our very own deepest, darkest depths of our self-perception. All of those things. I concur. So I thought we should also examine the definition specifically outside of a medical term, but as it relates to that, obviously, just because we define shit, that's part of what we do here. So the following definition came from the Oxford Dictionary. Imposter syndrome is defined as, quote, the persistent inability to believe that one's own success is deserved or legitimately achieved as a result of one's own efforts or skills, 
end quote. Then it was also followed by a sentence of supporting information that I thought was really important that said, quote, people suffering from imposter syndrome may be at increased risk of anxiety. And I really recognize that the two really do go deeply hand in hand. I believe that imposter syndrome is a symptom of anxiety, to be perfectly honest. So what is imposter syndrome? According to VeryWellMind.com, quote, imposter syndrome, or IS, refers to an internal experience of believing that you are not as competent as others perceive you to be, end quote. While this definition is usually narrowly applied to intelligence and achievement, it has, quote unquote, links to perfectionism and the social context. So to put it simply, IS is the experience of feeling like a phony. You feel as though at any moment you're going to be found out as a fraud and you only got there through pure dumb luck. It can affect anyone, no matter their social status, work background, skill level, or degree of expertise, end quote, which I thought was a really, really important thing to call out up front right away, not only as part of the definition, but also to really help us set the tone of this moving forward. Because honestly, as I did this research, I found out that more often than not, the information about imposter syndrome is very heavily geared toward women. And that did not sit well with me as we went through this episode. Specifically, the next page is what I have written. So say some things. I think it's interesting too in that little blurb that you just gave us that it can impact anyone in any degree of professionalism. So it's not just somebody that's starting at the bottom and like learning a new skill set. It can impact all the way up. And I actually really appreciate that you framed it that way because more often than not, it actually is found that people with more high demand jobs are found to have imposter syndrome more often than not. More often than not, let alone more often than other levels of wherever you are in the food chain of the work structure. I don't even know how else to say that other than, I mean, seriously, we're going to get into that. But yeah, that's a huge call out anybody in their life could be affected by this. And we're even going to expand on that as well as we need to time out for one second. I have this. I do this. I feel this way always in nearly everything I do with 90% of the people that I meet. This is a real, real thing. But before we get into my experience, I want to throw an example that I think we could all relate to because I think that that's also important before we move forward with really getting into this experience for people just as something tangible that we could all really recognize. So picture this. You're driving. You're speeding, in fact. Not recklessly, but you're absolutely getting a ticket if you get caught, okay? The race, sex, orientation of the officer and, dear listener, you as well, is completely irrelevant. Okay, we are simply talking about the fact that you are speeding and you are getting pulled over. And we're focused on the act of feelings with facing the consequences for speeding. That's specifically what I want us to really, really harness as we visualize this. This cop pulls up behind you. Cherries and berries are going and your stomach is in your asshole for the simple fact that you know that you did this and you were wrong. And now you're busted for it. Shout out to four of my five speeding tickets. (laughs) So now imagine this cop coming up to your window, but they're the nicest person that you've ever met. And they immediately say to you, hey, oh my God, you must be in the biggest emergency. Like, let me escort you wherever the fuck you need to go. 
Okay. This is a really intriguing moral situation. How do you feel about this? I'm seriously asking you. How do you feel? You are in trouble and this cop pulls up and is ready to escort you wherever the fuck you want to go because they really seriously were just like, and now I'm your escort. How do you feel? Terrible because it's a giant lie. Yeah, that's imposter syndrome. That's what it feels like always. Mm -hmm. That drop in your stomach and just waiting to be called out on this thing that you know is a lie is what imposter syndrome physically feels like. And I don't think that that is a perspective that a lot of people have really identified in talking about imposter syndrome. And yet I think that that's an experience that we can all physically relate to, to offer a little validity to this experience for people. It's waiting for the shoe to drop. That is exactly it. Thank you for sharing your feelings about the situation. But I also want to open this up because I recognize that your feelings and my feelings might not be the same feelings for all people. So I really broke this out into three bullet points. The first being how fucking great, right? This cop is going to escort you wherever the fuck you want to go while you were speeding. Okay, great. Two, we're acknowledging the feeling of shame. We're acknowledging that this is wrong, that we have done wrong and this person is trying to help us and be a part of the solution. And yet we feel like a fraud. I also recognize that there are people who don't feel guilt or shame for consequences of their actions and the choices that they make. Those people are called sociopaths and they should get that looked at. Can I just say that I'm imagining that scenario now where you're like, yeah, I'm just going to talk about police escort. That's exactly correct, though. That would be a sociopathic answer. (laughs) Can confirm. I have personally met a sociopath. Can confirm. What I need to be clear about with this example, though, is that people who experience this feeling of guilt and shame also feel it in moments of success equally and or more than compared to moments of consequence. The reason that I say maybe even more than is because Again, as someone who has this, I am constantly expecting consequence. So when I face consequence, I am already riddled with shame and guilt. This is a sensation that I truly align with success in that sense, but it's the same feeling consistently, and I recognize that to be true. Shout out to my anxiety directly related to the feedback that I feel that I need on episodes to make sure that they are even worth publishing, let alone for listener consumption. Appreciate all of you who always give me feedback. Can confirm. Please, for the love of God, provide feedback to Celeste if you enjoyed the episode because one, she deserves it. Two, she needs it. Real need it is really the key word there. Thank you for my survival. Appreciate you all. (laughs) Quote, while for some people, imposter syndrome can feel like feelings of motivation to achieve more, this usually comes at a cost in the form of constant anxiety, to be perfectly honest. You might overprep or work much harder than necessary to, quote unquote, make sure that nobody finds out that you're a fraud. End quote. This creates this like absolutely fucking vicious cycle in which you think that the work that you put out is irrelevant to the outcome or result. An example being, the only reason that you survived a class presentation was that you stayed up all night rehearsing. There's constantly a cause for the effect. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get what you're saying. It's never a result of you just being great at what you're doing. There's always a direct correlation of something exact that you did and if you had not done that one thing everything would have fallen apart that's exactly correct 
The article goes on to say, quote, the problem with imposter syndrome is that the experience of doing well at something does nothing to change your beliefs. The more you accomplish, the more you feel like a fraud. It's as though you can't internalize your experiences of success, end quote, which I really do feel like is just the journalist way of saying exactly what you just said and also felt. Can I just say that after 40 eight episodes i think it is i just still appreciate that you can read your own handwriting and write all of your notes i mean real real there's like i i honestly lost count of my notebooks quote this makes sense in terms of people who suffer social anxiety in that your core beliefs about yourself are so strong that they don't change even if there is evidence of the contrary An example of this being, the reason that people like you is because you're so attentive to the details of others, or you're useful to have around and that's the motive of the relationship. Hi, that's me. That's my personal example of how I very often feel in my imposter syndrome. Some common characteristics of imposter syndrome include self-doubt and inability to realistically assess your competencies and skills. Attributing your success to external factors such as scholarships, personal connections, etc. That whole fucking circle jerk of it's not what you know, it's who you know. That is absolutely a perpetuation of imposter syndrome, even though it is an entirely true statement. Nobody should ever underestimate the validity of that statement. Berating your performance or work. Fear that you won't live up to expectations, overachieving, sabotaging your own success, or setting very challenging goals and feeling disappointed when you fall short. Did you have any of those as I listed them off? Yeah, I have quite a few of them. I set goals for myself that I feel are realistic and when I don't meet them, even if somebody else is happy with like my quality of work or appreciates what I'm doing, if I don't achieve what I set my goal as, I don't accept what they're saying as valid. I get that. I deeply respect that and I really appreciate you sharing that because that is a very real response for humans. Whether you identify as someone who relates to imposter syndrome or not, and I'm not even to the point of asking you that question. I'm really just asking, do you recognize any of these things in yourself? And I really do appreciate you just being very honest about that answer because I think that these are very normal human experiences. Mm -hmm. Agreed. I am a solid eight out of eight. This is not like ice skating. The higher score is not better, my dear. Is that a real statement in ice skating? No, like you try to get the higher score. No, I'm just saying I have eight out of eight. I know I'm saying. And then I, I, the, I, the leg kicked in. I'm saying we need to work on those numbers. Mm. We'll see. But writing these down actually gave me real anxiety. So that was cool. And reading them to you also gave me anxiety. So cool. I know you're doing a lot of pen movements. I know. This whole episode gives me anxiety. But I'm super proud of it and I'm really excited about it because there's some fun shit in here. So, dear listeners, I'm sorry that I am a little wet blanket today. But here we go. So this article went on to talk about the types of imposter syndrome and pointed out that imposter syndrome can appear a number of ways. But here are the main ones that they identified. I actually would also argue that you can be any combination of these types as well. I don't think that it is a one-size-fits-all. Okay, I am ready. Excellent. Here we go, because then we're going to play a game after. Ooh. Ooh. The first type is the perfectionist. 
So perfs are never satisfied. They always feel that their work could be better. Rather than focusing on their strengths, they tend to fixate on any flaws or mistakes. This often leads to a great deal of self-pressure and high amounts of anxiety. The next type is the superhero. Because these individuals feel inadequate, they feel compelled to work as hard as possible. The expert. These individuals are always trying to learn more and are never satisfied with their level of understanding, even though they are often highly skilled and underrate their own expertise. The next is the natural genius. These individuals set excessively lofty goals for themselves and then feel crushed when they don't succeed on their very first try. And lastly, the soloist. These people tend to be very individualistic and prefer to work alone. Self-worth often stems from their productivity, so they often reject others of assistance. They tend to see asking for help as a sign of weakness or incompetence. So the game is, why are you laughing? Is there a picture of me next to that one? (laughs) No, but the next thing on my special guest notebook says, do you recognize any of these that would apply to you? (laughs) So are there? (laughs) Yeah, the soloist for sure. I would agree with that. I also recognize that you do have expert tendencies. You do. You are the Google Air, and that is a real thing. This isn't me penning you out of disciplinary again my pen is very vivid today but real (laughs) real I do recognize that you have some expert in you as well and that when you don't understand things the way that you want to understand things even when you do understand them we were even talking about this today. I made the call out that you were going to watch two or three videos to understand how to do something. And I said, not because you wouldn't understand it the first time, but because you need a second opinion. Mm-hmm. That's real. That's you. Yep, I agree. So are you ready for the game? Wait, can I see what ones you are that I think? That's the game. Oh, fun. Look at me go. The game is which one am I? <laughs> so I think you are the perfectionist and a naturalist. The natural genius? Yes. I don't disagree with you. And I do not disagree with you for the fact that I recognize I do every single one of these things. This whole structure, I do all of them. Very true. And that's disgusting. I just chose the two that stood out to me the most. And the naturalist, why do I keep calling it the naturalist? Oh, natural. Don't know. That's its new name. (laughs) But I immediately went to poll. Where when you didn't get something the first time, you would still keep trying, but you would be fucking pissed. Yep. And I feel like that's everything. Yep. I just don't see it as obviously as it is when you're trying to do a move and pull. That is absolutely real. And that is absolutely me. And you know me very fucking well. So thank you for that. <laughs> No, I really do appreciate that validation, though, because as part of my imposter syndrome, I tell myself I act in all those ways, but maybe I don't. Maybe that is just me downing on myself, but I really recognize as I was reading these, I could specifically assign a recent event to each category as I was going through them of things that I've taken on or felt or experienced even in the past couple days. Honestly, I have done all of these in the past few days, Mm -hmm. let alone my entire life and or professional career. 
So I do appreciate you saying that. But I also recognize that if I had to only pick two, the perfectionist and the natural genius would be the two that I would go for because I absolutely am a perfectionist. And my natural genius trait, whatever this in this context is absolutely my biggest downfall when it comes to learning new things and stepping outside of my comfort zone. Because if I don't get it right away, I immediately assume I'm going to be fucking terrible at it. And then I just want to quit. And I'm not a quitter. So then I get mad and then I hate myself and then I like hate force myself to go forward and try something new and challenge myself. And then comes the perfectionist and then I will perfect it until I am perfect at the thing that I wasn't naturally good at. And that's why I'm good at all kinds of shit that I shouldn't be good at. <laughs> Dear listeners, I can confirm hate force is definitely a weird ass thing that Celeste has. It applies to other people too, just so y'all know. <laughs> I loved that we played that game. Thank you for playing that with me. And thank you again for sharing your position in, in yourself. Now that we've kind of gotten into it a little bit, do you want to talk about the history of imposter syndrome? Yes, I do. Excellent. So the following came from Stop Telling Women That They Have Imposter Syndrome from HarvardBusinessReview.org. And the irony of this title is that I had never even heard of imposter syndrome until I was in my work environment. And my work environment was telling me that we had imposter syndrome or this was a possibility, which I appreciated because honestly, I didn't know that I had this. So I really benefited from that. But I recognized it was ironic. Mm -hmm. Stay tuned. Quote, psychologists Pauline Rose Clance and Suzanne Imes developed the concept originally termed, quote, imposter phenomenon. In their 1978 founding study, which focused on highly achieving women, end quote. It was basically their thesis that, quote, despite outstanding academic and professional accomplishments, women who experienced the imposter phenomenon persist in believing that they are really not bright and have fooled everyone around them to think otherwise. That's really what they went into this study thinking, like, do women really think this? Let's answer that question. Okay. And hi, me again. Still 1000% me, just in case anybody was curious. I think it's important to keep reminding people that this is, this is something I experienced because I really can't stop thinking about the dude who went off on my Twitter who was like, this isn't a real thing. And I was like, okay, shout out to that guy. I hope that you're learning something here. I'm not mad at you, but I really hope you're learning something here. Quote, their findings spurred decades of thought, leadership programs, and initiatives to address imposter syndrome in women specifically. Even famous women from Hollywood superstars such as Charlize Theron and Viola Davis to business leaders such as Sheryl Sandberg and even former First Lady Michelle Obama, as well as Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor, have confessed to experiencing it. Shout out to Michelle Obama, no matter how you feel about Barack. I just need to say that. Also, Charlize is like one of my, I don't know, I don't want to say idols. I don't idolize anybody, but she always seems so strong and powerful. So interesting that she's suffered from this. I don't disagree with you at all. And I think that that's a very common thread that we will kind of pull apart as we move forward with this. So I appreciate you calling that out. I have a brief Celeste disclaimer before we can move forward. I am not a therapist. 
I am not in anything other than an empath with a microphone and a best friend. Okay, I need y'all to understand that. But it is my opinion personally and professionally that imposter syndrome is absolutely a phenomenon that men can and do experience as often, if not more than women. Okay, great. And before we keep going, I want to talk about why I believe that that's true, because I couldn't find this in any of my research, and it really pissed me off. We've covered a lot of topics on our show about men and their experiences as a species. Specifically, shout out to our entire Let's Hear It For The Boys series. I really recognize the hierarchy that is masculinity is vastly different from the construct that is femininity. Everyone tells women what we are and can be, and by everyone, I mean men, okay? I need to be really clear about that. But if quote-unquote men set the precedence of a societal perspective of women, who sets that precedent for men? Men do. That's the answer. And you know what we learned about men? The statistically and medically proven data supports that men are less likely to all the way over to incapable of forming meaningful relationships with other men. I've never been more proud or grateful to be a woman, honestly, for the simple fact that being a man sounds incredibly difficult. And as the person that I am, I would truly struggle in that isolation and constant competition of masculinity. That would be incredibly toxic for me. I would not thrive in that environment. Yeah, no, thank you. And I really think that there are a lot of men out there who are suffering with imposter syndrome for that reason. And nobody's talking about that. Coincidentally, one of my favorite audio drama podcasts, shout out to the Magnus Archives, has had a listener story like submission kind of thing going on recently and one of the stories that was submitted is about imposter syndrome and the protagonist is a male that is suffering from imposter syndrome and like there's horrors that come from it that's supernatural but it's rooted in the imposter syndrome and the anxiety that's caused from it and in the very beginning when we were saying what imposter syndrome is all I could think about was that episode because part of his internal dialogue was you're not good enough you're not doing it right you're never going to be good enough the good things aren't because of you you're not good enough and I just thought that was really interesting that it was from a male perspective And they turned it into a horror thing, which it is. It is absolutely a horror thing. Absolutely. Anxiety of any kind in any way that it affects you can, in fact, reach horrifying levels. That's real, okay? I, in fact, had a panic attack today that I am still physically suffering from. That's a very real thing, okay? I want to normalize that for everybody. And I really, really appreciate you sharing not only that piece, but also that you've heard this perspective from a man's perspective, even if it was in a fictional, paranormal fucking podcast presentment, because I personally have never heard it from a man's perspective. So that's a really fucking big deal to me that you said that. With that said, however, the feminist in me must also acknowledge that because men overall, quote unquote, control the narrative, men are more validated in their success than women ever are. 
Regardless of if that success was earned or inherited, all women face the same chance of experiencing any of the following for a quote-unquote explanation of her success. Who her daddy is. Who her husband is. Who she's fucking. Who she's sucking. Who she stepped on to get there and carried her all the way to the top. Every man and woman who simply loathes her for her success at all, which honestly presents as an entirely new branch on the rotting tree that we call human civilization. And that needs to be called out as well. Fuck haters. An unsupportive friend is also a hater. I just need to make that very well known. Yep. My point is this experience is valid for men just as much as it is women. And we need to make a safe space for that to be acknowledged. As well as, at the same time, this experience is exacerbated for women. And we can't ignore that either. Mm -hmm. According to the article, quote, The impact of systemic racism, classism, xenophobia, and other biases was categorically absent when the concept of imposter syndrome was developed. What? Okay. Many groups were excluded from the study, namely women of color and people of various income levels, gender, and professional backgrounds, end quote. Hence my disclaimer as to why I really don't feel like the scope of this conversation is being opened up enough to be inclusive of even all women. How in the fuck would this conversation possibly be inclusive of men and their experiences? Like, come on, you guys, we got to be better than this. Like, this is a human thing. You would think that if you're performing a study, you would try to get a range of people that accommodates for everybody. You'd think. I can't think of the words I'm actually trying to say, but I think you get what I'm saying. Like a case study where they study variables, you mean? Like science thing? Yeah, to cover the spectrum. Science things. Science thing. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. I really do. I am making fun of you. But also, yeah, I agree. I think that's fucking ridiculous that they specifically built the study around one type of woman and then roll it out to all women like it applies to them. I think that's really fucking irresponsible. Quote, even as we know it today, imposter syndrome puts the blame on the individuals without the accountability for the historical and cultural contexts that are foundational to how it manifests in both women of color and in white women. Imposter syndrome directs our view toward fixing women at work instead of fixing the places where women work. End quote. Okay. One, this is real. This is a very real fucking thing. Two, this again is not just a woman thing. And I need to say that because the article didn't. Love that news. Three, this is not by any stretch of the imagination confined to the workplace. And I need to be clear about that too. I think that's a great call out because a lot of people attribute this to career oriented things. Absolutely. And it is presented that way more often than not. And it really pissed me off. So we need to call out success is defined by more than just one's professional career, which is a concept absolutely fucking lost on this country. And it's disgusting. Let's address that. Success can mean 
all kinds of things as it relates to being a quote unquote good partner for whatever that means to you. Being a parent, being a child, especially shout out to adult children who are trying to find their way in the world separate from their parents who are not comfortable being little fucking minions. This is a very real concept for every one of y'all. Being a student, being a soldier, physical fitness journeys, honestly, being a human in general. These are all situations in which you could experience imposter syndrome. I'm glad we got that out there. Okay, if you have a heartbeat, welcome to the game. And you could experience this on any day that ends in Y. I just want you to know. I also want to spend a little time talking about this concept in practice to help us all visualize this better. If you're not already also screaming that this is you, LOL, because shout out to everybody who's already to this point of the episode and knows that this is them. From the same HarvardBusinessReview.org article as previously cited, there was this story that was in that article that I really wanted to share for this perspective. Trigger warning ahead. Picture this. Talisa Lavari was exhausted. She led the charge at her corporate event management company to plan a high-profile, security-intensive event, working around the clock and through the weekend for months. Fun fact, Barack Obama was the keynote speaker. That's a huge fucking deal. Obviously, quote, Lavari knew how to handle the complicated logistics required for the role, but not the office politics. A golden opportunity to prove her expertise had turned into a living nightmare. Talisa's peers interrogated her and called her professionalism into question. Their bullying, both subtle and overt, haunted each decision that she made moving forward. End quote. Talisa honestly even began to question if her race was a factor to the abuse and mistreatment that she was facing as she was the only black woman on her team. Quote, she began doubting whether she was qualified for the job at all, despite constant praise from the client. Things with her planning team became so toxic that Talisa found herself demoted from lead to co-lead and was eventually unacknowledged altogether by her colleagues. Each action that chipped away at her role in her work doubly chipped away at her confidence. She became plagued by deep anxiety, self-hatred, and the feeling that she was a fraud felt on all planes, and also, fucking obviously, you don't get to treat people like that and expect them to come out a pile of daisies. Yeah, no kidding. The story went on to say, quote, what had started as a healthy nervousness of, like, will I fit in? Will my peers like me? And can I do good work? Became a workplace-induced trauma that had her contemplating suicide, end quote. We need to pause right there. We really do. And acknowledge that regardless of your personal experience or understanding of this mental construct to this point is irrelevant for one fucking second. This woman experienced this. This is a real woman that this article is talking about. Abuse from her employer and or peers was also real to the point of her considering suicide. That's a real experience that millions of people feel every day. Yeah. That's insane. So real, in fact, that there are 10 careers rated as the jobs with the highest suicide rates. And they are not surprising as we really think about Talisa and her experience with imposter syndrome specifically. Do you want to guess what some of those are? Well, I feel like now I'm going to guess wrong, but psychiatrists? Not on the list, but 
there are two degrees that I would count closely. So I will give you a half a point for psychiatrist. Oh, wait, wait. These are degrees. Okay. No, not degrees. Jobs. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. All right. Um, lawyers. On the list. Number eight. That is literally all I have. Hello. What are they? <laughs> Hello. Number eight. I see you. <laughs> hey. 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 According to choicepsychotherapy.net, they are the following. Number nine, I'm sorry, there were top 10, so we should do start at 10, you know. 10 is pharmacists. Huh. Nine, farmers. Oh, yep. Eight, lawyers. Seven, electricians. Six, real estate agents. Five, financial services. That could mean bankers. That could mean stock investors. That could mean anybody on Wall Street. Shout out to everybody on Wall Street. They're definitely feeling this episode. <laughs> Number four, veterinarians. Number three, police officers. Shout out to our qualified immunity episode and all of the research that we did on police officers and their mental health and how police officers are not properly equipped for their jobs. And that is an absolute disservice to police officers. Thank you. Number two is dentists, which I thought was actually really surprising. And number one is medical doctors, which I did not think was surprising at all. And I really recognize that all of these jobs are high pressure as fuck. Mm -hmm. Of course, this absolutely applies. This context makes sense in these environments because I honestly can't imagine the stress of being a financial advisor and knowing that if I gave someone the wrong information about their pension or their life savings, I could ruin everything for them. Mm -hmm. That would terrify me, me, the girl who is admitting she has imposter syndrome. Same with being a fucking farmer. I cannot imagine the stress of what if my crops don't come up this year? I can't imagine that. That entire job is basically science, but also relies on all kinds of factors that you cannot control. Yeah. That would also absolutely destroy me because I couldn't control the factors. Shit, I recognize lawyers on here and I'm already ready for that. So let's go. That little head wiggle was the best. <laughs> me taking on my imposter syndrome head on. Let's get it. I thought that a call out from the article specifically that was separate from other thoughts that I wanted to say very directly is, quote, feeling unsure should not make you an imposter, end quote. I think that that is a mentality that we as a human species have enforced for longer than we realize. That if you don't know something, you're not stupid. You're not bad. You're not a fraud. If you really don't know something, it's absolutely okay to ask because how else are you ever going to know? That's not something that is normalized in our culture and I don't understand why. Yeah, I agree 100%. The article went on to say, quote, Imposter syndrome took a fairly universal feeling of discomfort, second guessing, and mild anxiety in the workplace and pathologized it, especially for women. End quote. Shout out to employers who offer imposter syndrome conversations to their associates in the name of self-development. Y'all should honestly be ashamed of equipping your female associates with this ideology, even if it does not apply to them in their experience, as a way to forever assert dominance on you as an employee anytime you try to raise concerns. And then my special guest notebook says crickets, because that 
was real in my head when I wrote that. Quote, as white men progress, their feelings of doubt usually, although as their work and intelligence are validated over time, they are able to find role models who are quote unquote like them and rarely if ever, do others question their competence, contributions, or leadership styles, end quote. Regardless of you, dear listener, potentially being a white man who could very easily experience IS, this point is 1000% true on a macro level and is equally as valid as your individual experience. And that needs to be said. But the article went on to say, women experience the opposite. Rarely are we invited to a inner quote, women's career development conference and inner quote, where a session on inner quote, overcoming imposter syndrome and inner quote, is not on the agenda, end quote. For women who truly experience imposter syndrome, that's great. Like I said before, I learned about imposter syndrome from a meeting like this, and that was eye-opening as fuck for me. And I personally am really grateful for that experience because honestly, I learned a lot about myself from it. Okay, and I need to call that out for any women who have experienced imposter syndrome presentations in their workplace who really benefited from them because I did. And that's real. However, for women who do not have imposter syndrome, the seed is already being planted as a construct for you to consider and or to convince yourself that you are experiencing this. And that's something that employers do to everybody. That's a real thing in corporate America. And I want to talk about why they would do this. Before I get into that, do you have any questions, comments, thoughts, anything to share? I definitely think it's a double-edged sword. Like, it's good to have that information available for those that are suffering from it, but it should by no means be mandatory because it's dangerous for people that don't have it because it can plant those seeds, like you said. Yeah. I don't even think that we need to look at it as dangerous in the quote-unquote mandatory perspective. I really just recognize it needs to be called out as a double-edged sword, period. Anybody who goes into to this conversation about imposter syndrome needs to simply recognize this information might not apply to you even if you feel these feelings, even if you experience these things from time to time. Because shame and that feeling of fraudulency is a very real thing that people experience even without having imposter syndrome. So I recognize that those meetings are super valid for people who regularly experience this. Well, also, like you called out, a double-edged sword being, if you don't, it's still very easy to tell yourself you do have this to the level that I am saying I have this, even if you don't. And then that can be used against you. And I personally can attest to that being done to me as it relates to this topic. That's a personal experience that I have. So I recognize that it's really dangerous for that reason. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about why employers would do this. And this came from an article called The Difference Between Personality and Character from KeyDifferences.com. Quote, while personality shows what you are to the outside world, character reveals what you are inside. As these are directly related to a person's attitude and behavior, most people get easily confused between the two. End quote. Shout out to all of my exes and their personalities dot dot dot. So 
So I want to talk about the difference that I, I made this chart. I made this little T chart of the difference between personality and character. Okay, I am ready. Before we get into this, because I'm really excited and small foreshadowing to the next section of our research. This is the soft science version of the sun, moon, and rising charts for people who are astrological. Cosmic witch checking in. Super excited to get to that part of the episode because I can't wait. But an important call out to make because you love soft science and I am foreshadowing to some things. So pay attention. Thank you. Okay, (laughs) ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. So personality means referring to the range of distinct personal qualities and traits of an individual. Pretty simple. Character, on the other hand, refers to a set of morals and beliefs that define how we treat or behave with others or ourselves. The next little section of the T-chart compares the way that, wow, I actually spelled this word really bad. The next little category of the T-chart is supposed to say presents, but the word actually says pep rents, and I wrote it that way. (laughs) Personality presents as who we seem to be, whereas character presents as who we actually are. Oh, I'm impressed with myself right now. I love that. I love that. Do you want to share with the class? In my head, I was just thinking it's, I lost what I was thinking. Um... It was essentially what we're like versus what we are. Yeah, you did great. That's exactly correct. The traits are defined for personality as personal and physical. And for character, they are identified as mental and moral. The next little section of the chart was identified as the nature. The nature of your personality is subjective to your environment, to your experiences. That shit can change. That shit can change overnight. Don't you doubt it. But your character is objective. That shit is not going anywhere. That is solid. The expression of these two things, personality being described as outer appearance and behavior of a person. Character is being defined as traits of a person that are abstract. Is this person a good person or not? Like that's really an abstract question, but that's a character question, not a personality question. I may have said this in the nature section of this T-chart, but the next category is called change. For personality, it states may change over time. For character, it states always remains the same. And the last section was titled validation of society. This is for every single person. This chart really broke it out as personality is not required for validation of society. However, character is. And I was really sitting with that as I was thinking about it and why would that be, right? And I really recognize that we can be whoever we want to be in society. That's our personality. But if we're bad people or good people, that's what sets us apart. And that is why I recognize that validation of society is important. Welcome to taboos where we have zero validation from society because we are talking about shit society doesn't want us to. And yet I really recognize that This is just who we are and this is our character showing through. And I'm super, super proud of that. I don't think that I could have made that correlation to it without our show. So I wanted to call that out for you and I specifically, who that meant something to. Wow, I went in a completely different direction with that. Oh, do tell. I went to like Ted Bundy, who for all intents and purposes appeared. Nope, stop. Nope, stop. Nope, nope. Because, nope, because the next page says Ted Bundy. We are 
Telepathic. I love us. I am obsessed with us. You are so impressive to me. Just wait. Ted Bundy is literally on the next page. All right. Turn the page. Love this. (laughs) To your point, yes. My special guest notebook says, do we know why character is relevant? Ted Bundy had an amazing and infectious personality, as did I don't know, say Gilan Maxwell. It was their character, however, that made Teddy one of the most infamous serial killers we know. And Gilan, well, the court proceedings are not over, so I really can't talk about how I feel about that. The giant pile of shit that we presume she is. Exactly. Either way, this bitch can absolutely rot in every existence that she's got going from here on out. That is how I feel, and that is what I will say on the subject of Miss Maxwell. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, though, I thought a very valid fucking example, Britney Spears. We all judge her for her quote-unquote personality and what we believe we know about her because of the media. Stay tuned for absolutely several episodes about media abuse. That shit is coming in full force and I am mad about it. But you know what? From the 36-minute documentary that I saw of Britney Spears, she has better and more character than 90% of the people that I know personally. What? That's insane. That's literally insane. Before we move on to why companies prefer personality over character, Allie Girl, we are going to do a thing. Are you ready? I am so excited. Yes. I did your astrological chart to prove that I am right, not only about this theory, but also about astrology because I'm really excited about it. I don't know if I will come to that proof today, but I will in my mind. And then my imposter syndrome will kick in later and we'll deal with it at that point. But I am really excited. Gemini, Pisces, Leo checking in. You are the following. Are you ready? Yes. You're a twin fish lion. I am a twin fish lion. Nice. Yeah. You're a crab crab water bowl. I don't. Congratulations. Cool. (laughs) Okay. So your sun sign, which is your primary zodiac sign. You are a cancer. You are a misaligned cancer, but a cancer nonetheless. Your moon sign is also cancer, which I thought was very interesting. We'll talk about why in a moment. Your rising sign is Aquarius, which made me so excited. Also going to talk about that in a moment, but like for real, super fucking excited. And it made our whole friendship make sense to me. And I loved it. Why this is so real for me when looking at your chart is because you are truly the same always. That's a very real statement about you. Allie, as a person, your personality is, in fact, your character, which is true right here, too, in this astrological chart. Your sun sign and your moon sign are exactly the same. That's a very uncommon thing. I mean, honestly, there's a one out of 12 chance that that could happen. Soft science equates your sun sign to your personality, your moon sign to your character, and your rising sign to how the two work together. Like I said, Cosmic Witch checking in. This is my shit. This is really the only part of this episode I know I did really fucking good. So I'm really excited about it. The following information came from stars like you. And I am so excited to describe to you what these things mean and how they relate to you. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. So I want to start with the definitions of 
the term sun, moon, and rising according to this astrological website just to offer the same backing that the soft science perspective had. So sun is described as the center of your personality, what motivates you and drives you, and who you are learning to become. Your moon sign describes your instinctive and emotional nature. Whilst your sun sign describes qualities you are learning to develop and become, your moon describes who you already are, end quote, which I really recognize is character. That's the definition of character, just in other words. Mm -hmm. And your rising sign is the way you project yourself, how others see you, and the kind of experiences you need to make a meaningful life, end quote. Because your moon sign and your sun sign are the same, being Cancer, the point that I wanted to make there truly was that you are the same in personality and in character. There isn't a difference, which I think you will recognize when you say things to me like, it's just a job. It's easier for me to compartmentalize because you are the same no matter what perspective someone is looking at you as. That's not to say that you feel the same. It is just to say that Allie is always Allie in the same way all the time. Is that a fair statement? Yep. Sarcastic asshole. Check it in. What you see is what you get. Love that news. The important part about what makes you so magnificent, though, is your rising sign, especially for our friendship, which makes me so happy. Quote, Aquarius ascendant people attach great importance to individuality and free self-development. They don't want to be subordinate to the masses, and they certainly don't want to adhere to rigid, in their opinion, outdated rules. End quote. Hi, welcome to our podcast. Hello. Submitting to other people also contradicts their self-confidence. This is why they sometimes have the feeling of standing next to society, watching people from a certain distance. Shout out to your love of people watching. That's a real thing. Mm-hmm. I like to watch people because I find people interesting. That I do know is true. So this went on to describe other traits of Aquarius rising. They love their independence and freedom. They draw attention to their fellow humans through their creative and intelligent spirit. Oh, thanks. What does that sound like? Oh, wait, It maybe sounds like photography. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Sort of sounds like photography. They develop many ideas to help shape their environment actively. That's also you. Mm -hmm. They don't always implement their ideas because they don't like to take responsibility. Oh, wow. Hello. I feel seen. We're going to leave that one. Rude. Right there. <laughs> they just get more and more you. Just you wait. They're very friendly and open-minded when dealing with other people, but are sometimes a bit non-binding. The fear of losing their individuality and independence is high. If they think that they're too committed to a specific thing or person, they'll quickly feel threatened and withdraw. End quote. I'm pretty secure in my individualism. I've never felt threatened, but I don't get close to people because I don't feel like putting in the effort. Your strengths are that you are independent, free, unconventional, progressive, creative, humane, witty, liberal, intuitive, and original. Some of your weaknesses are categorized as aimless, eccentric, faithless, stubborn, and rebellious. All words, as your best friend, I could use to describe you. Yep, I agree. Lovingly, of course. Your affirmation, this I specifically did for you because I do this for myself and I do this for Tiny and I don't know if you would use this, but I made it because it's important to me and I use this for myself. 
So an affirmation based on your astrological chart that you could use in your daily routine to help if you were feeling in any way inclined to explore a astrological perspective to your day would look like this based on your chart specifically. Quote, I am not a victim. I deserve all that is good and I radiate purpose. End quote. That is your affirmation based on the fact that you are a cancer sun Cancer Moon, and Aquarius Rising. Mine, as a Gemini Pisces Leo, is, quote, I am sunshine and joy, I deserve validation, and I radiate love, end quote. That definitely matches you. Thank you. Small call out to astrology and the lack of faith that people have in it. I mean, yes, like, it can definitely be abused and misinterpreted without question. And there are people out there who do it for clickbait. Like, that's a real thing, too. But y'all believe a lot more idiotic things than this. So maybe just sit with that. Hashtag Trump 2024. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts or comments or questions on the astrological piece? No, that was just fun. Also, now when I walk into a room, I'm going to go, cancer, cancer. Water sign. <laughs> I love that it was cancer, cancer, water sign. Oh, I'm sorry. Claw, claw. Crab, crab. Crab, crab, water thing i don't know now i'm lost it's crab crab <laughs> water bowl crab 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 crab, crab, crab water claw, bowl. claw water bowl exactly i'm going to be the coolest kid at the party your crab crab water bowl that sounds like an std now we gotta walk away from this it reminds me of dodgeball where they're like tiny and i just watched dodgeball she had never seen it she only saw like the second half of it and now i cannot get her to stop fucking quoting that movie So thank you for taking that little side trip with me. This leads me into my point of why I believe companies prefer personality over character. And this will actually come with a disclaimer. The following is not based on research, but personal experience. Y'all need to understand that I was raised in a house that eats, breathes, and sleeps corporate America, okay? Right, wrong, or indifferent to you and your experience, I need to offer that as a little context as to how I gained this perspective, even outside of my own experience with corporate America, which I've honestly been balls deep in since my very first bring your kid to work day. The following is not to be heard as any one employer, nor is this an effort to throw shade on any one company specifically. Corporate business is an entirely different structure than any other work environment. And the following is in regard to that structure in both context and in literal practice alone. Just so no one gets their dress code approved panties in a bunch, we're going to talk about a corporate structure that does not exist, okay? We're going to talk about Taboo's International Corp. Do we love this plan? Sure. Cool. I, comma, Celeste. And the acting voice and the corporate consciousness of Taboo's International Corp. Allie, thank you for applying at our company. You have a very impressive resume. I love this cover letter. Thank you for applying. Tell me about yourself. Wow, I was so not prepared for this. Cancer, cancer, water sign. <laughs> I. You can say whatever the fuck you want right now. This is not a wow. real job interview. <laughs> trying to impress like say whatever you want i'm a content creator on a societal commentary podcast and i love animals you know you sound like a really great fit for our organization based on your 
personality. <sighs> which is really important to me because I need to know that you're not a fucking psycho. And by the way you answered that question, I can't confirm that. But I'm going to keep reading my script because it's important we keep moving. Also, that you'll fit in here. We're like a place that you... <clears throat> Wait a minute. You also love us. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> I love that you're dying over that part. <laughs> you also love animals. Oh, dear listeners, now Allie's crying. She cried because she was laughing. Laugh, cry. We've accomplished. Also, it's important that I get to know you because this is a family environment and we need to know that you're going to fit in here. Does this sound like a place that you want to work? Can I offer you this job? Absolutely. Thank you. You're welcome. You're hired. Welcome to the team. You are going to fit right in as long as your character never contradicts your personality. That response is a normal structure in any relationship. Okay, as long as your personality and your character don't contradict, you're welcome to stay. You could say that to anybody. Mm -hmm. But remember how I was a corporate entity? Yeah, I'm going to take it one step farther. I, comma, Celeste, the corporate entity, cannot control your character. And if your character is better than that of the organization in practice, not in print, we're going to have some real problems. What I can control is your personality within this environment, with metrics and with meetings and with seminars telling you that you're broken, but we love you anyway. Blanket statements that I, the corporate entity, are making to all associates at all times, making it the norm because everyone will interpret it differently. And because the associates that we need to keep in line will use the seeds that we've planted to help mentor them to stay in line. Because that's truly what I, the corporate, care about. Because your work getting done, you making me, the corporate, look good on the bottom line and otherwise, that's my priority. So are you still excited to be a part of the team? Less so. And scene. I really think that is a real perspective of corporate America that is not discussed. And there are a lot of people who are shitting their pants right now that I brought it up. Please note, men and women are viewed the same in this way, even within the corporate environment. And to be really clear, this can happen with any toxic person in any toxic environment. This is an abusive relationship by its definition, but specifically staying in the corporate lane, does that mean that corporate is all bad? Absolutely not. Some people thrive in environments that don't require their character to be present because character calls into question our morality, our ethics, our personal, most personal selves. Some people don't want their personal selves in the day-to-day -day of their work. I think about you when I think about that statement. Your personal self is present because your character and your personality are the same from the outlooker's perspective. But for you, that's not the same conversation. You can separate them right? Yep. That's an ability I am very envious of. So I think about people, for example, who do a lot of work like data entry as just a very simple example. 
Your morality is likely to be completely irrelevant in your day-to-day work. So there's no real opportunity to have your character challenged or examined within your role. As long as you're successful and happy and you can compartmentalize that way, love that news. You are in the perfect role and wishing you nothing but success. But if you're one of those people who are driven by your character, your moral compass always points to your true north. Being in roles where your character is a factor and it's not welcomed or it's challenged or it shines brighter than the character of the company or those around you, you're going to have a really hard time with that compartmentalization that is required for you to be successful in that environment. And what is the result of our characters being challenged as human beings? Self-doubt, shame, self-hate, and welcome back to imposter syndrome, which I would like to offer as the proof of the corporate structure perspective as it relates to imposter syndrome that validates this experience for people. That whole circle that I just made, I really think is what defines this as real for people. And with that, I want to go back to what imposter syndrome is. And this came from, again, theverywellmind.com. If you, like I, have imposter syndrome as it relates to any aspect of your life, there are ways to cope, which we're going to talk about next. If you're to this point of this episode and all of this sounds like I drank some Kool-Aid and have a grudge against corporate America, one, you would not be wrong. Two, shout out to my mother. Three, congratulations. You likely do not have imposter syndrome. Good for you. I really mean that. Congratulations. But just like depression, or addiction, or dysmorphia, this is a very real experience. And even though you can't see it and understand it, does not invalidate it for others. This is mental health also. I gave a shout out to my mother. Word to your mother. So let's talk about how we cope with imposter syndrome. Quote, to get past imposter syndrome, you need to start asking yourself some hard questions. They might include some of the following. What core beliefs do I hold about myself? Do I believe that I am worthy of love as I am? This one we need to talk about specifically. Love can mean anything positive. That does not have to be a romantic relationship. Love can be anything positive in your life that is a gift from the universe. That could be your dream car or a new job or a stimulus check you weren't expecting. Good things. That's really the question. Are you deserving of love and good things? The answer is obviously yes. Unless you're Ted Bundy. Or Gilan Maxwell. Fuck that bitch. Must I be perfect for others to approve of me is the next coping question. And that one, I just need to add after that because that one really made me question, do I give a fuck about what other people think of me as long as my moral compass points north? That is truly a question that I have had to come back to over and over and over in the past few weeks on multiple occasions for multiple different traumatic experiences. One being the static situation. Like, I've really been struggling with the comment sections on some of the things that are out there about static that have nothing to do with me and yet have everything to do with me because he's my cat. He is our baby. I really have been struggling with my decision and I've really been struggling with the reaction to my decision from multiple people. And I really recognize that I feel like a fucking failure as a cat mom. I really do. And I also know that Tiny feels like a failure because I feel like a failure. And that's not true, but it doesn't invalidate our feelings about it. 
And one of the things that I've really been trying to challenge myself with in thinking that way is do I actually give a fuck what those people think about me as a cat mom? Or am I really okay with my decision because it came down to accepting all of this shit for him to live a long and beautiful life, which is what my moral compass told me to do. That's something that I haven't come up with an answer for yet, but I really keep pushing myself until I believe the correct answer, which is I made this decision morally, meaning it's the right one. Which you did. Maple, what is your problem? I hate sleep apnea. Probably. Quote, perfectionism plays a significant role in imposter syndrome. You might think that there's some perfect quote-unquote script for conversations and that you cannot say the wrong thing or you'll be found out as imperfect, meaning of less value. You probably have trouble asking for help from others and may procrastinate due to your own high standards, end quote. Shout out to my girl Janae and our conversation about normalizing quote-unquote talking to yourself. That needs to be a very normalized fucking thing, as well as validating the script mentality because that's also very real. I constantly feel like that. That's a psychological thing that I do to myself, that I convince myself that there's a script And that I'm just fucking it up. And I'm the only one who doesn't have the script and know her lines. So there's at any time I open my mouth, I could absolutely say the wrong thing. That's real. Do you have any experience with that? Mm -hmm. Why does Maple sound like an actual foghorn? I literally was like visualizing a lighthouse as I heard that noise. The ships are coming. Excellent. Quote, to move past these feelings, you need to become more comfortable confronting some of those deeply ingrained beliefs you hold about yourself. End quote. This can be really hard, you guys, in all honesty. The hardest part being you might not even recognize you have these preconceived notions about yourself, especially if you're dealing with other super normal mental health experiences. You guys, if you're already experiencing anxiety and depression, add imposter syndrome on top of that. There's no way that you're going to get to the bottom of your anxiety and identifying the difference in your generalized anxiety or your anxiety as it relates to imposter syndrome unless you're really looking for it. Because social anxiety presents as social fucking anxiety in whatever that means to your body. It's not until you create a mental association to it that helps you distinguish the difference, which is why I think it's so important that people really recognize that imposter syndrome is not a diagnosis. It's a construct that we build and can unbuild, like I said in my original disclaimer. And the reason I think that that description is so valid, but if you know specifically I'm talking to you right now, here are some techniques that we can use per the article. Share your feelings. Quote, Talk to other people about how you're feeling. These irrational beliefs tend to fester when they are hidden and not talked about. End quote. As is true for any mental health concern. Okay, thanks. Focus on others. I do this. Oh my God, this is me to a fault. This is my number one thing that I do when I'm trying to work through my imposter syndrome. Yep. Quote, while this might feel counterintuitive, try to help others in the same situation as you. If you see someone who seems awkward or alone, ask that person a question to bring them into the group. As you practice your skills, you'll build on your confidence in your own abilities. End quote. Shout out to people who are really good at quote unquote reading a room. Y'all should check out our empath episode. Wink, 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 wink. 
Also, shout out to extroverts who just constantly adopt introverts and bring them into the fold. Love that. Also, check out our empath episode. Perhaps that's you. Next is assess your abilities or your talents or your strengths or whatever the fuck you want to recognize it as. But the article specifically said abilities. Abilities mean something different in my world, so I wanted to change it. Quote, if you have long-held beliefs about your incompetence and performance situations, make a realistic assessment of your talents. Write down accomplishments that you're good at and compare that with your self-assessment. So whether this is professionally related or not, as you hear it, I really recognize that this needs to be read or heard, honestly, because this is an audio podcast, as making a resume for you, for yourself as a mom or a dad or insert any title a human can hold in anything that has anything to do with living your life, honestly. The next is take baby steps. Quote, don't focus on doing this perfectly, but rather do this reasonably well and reward yourself for taking action. For example, in a group conversation, offer an opinion or share a story about yourself, end quote. But then it did not talk about how to reward yourself for doing that. So I just want to circle back and say, don't forget to reward yourself for doing it. Chocolate. All the chocolate. Question your thoughts. Quote, as you start to assess your talents and take baby steps, question whether your thoughts are rational, like as you take them. The article didn't call that out either, but I really recognize as a process-driven person. Analyze every single step you take just one time. Don't do this all the time. That'll drive you fucking crazy. But if you really feel like you're not good at something, walk through it one time, top to bottom. Document all your steps. Make sure that you really understand it. And as you go, take a step back and really ask yourself, does it make sense that you're a fraud given everything you know, given that you followed the process that you created for yourself A through Z and you nailed it? Would it be true that you could be a fraud if you were able to do that? I would argue no. That doesn't mean my argument is valid, though, because... I still have this. Stop comparing. Quote, everything you compare yourself to others in social situation, you'll find some fault with yourself that feels like the feeling of not being good enough or not belonging. Instead, during these conversations, focus on listening to what the other person is saying. Be genuinely interested in learning more. End quote. Comparison is a thief of joy. That's from Roosevelt. Shout out to Roosevelt which actually is the perfect little segue to the next point, which is use social media moderately. Quote, we know that the overuse of social media may be related to feelings of inferiority. If you try to portray an image on social media that doesn't match who you really are or that is impossible to achieve, it will only make your feelings of fraud worse. End quote. Yep. Valid. 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 Thank you for also validating that. Stop fighting your feelings is the next one. Quote, don't fight the feelings of not belonging. Instead, try to lean into them and accept them. It's only when you acknowledge them that you can start to unravel those core beliefs that are holding you back. End quote. That one really made me think of you specifically in all the times that you talk about the fact that you're a quote unquote really weird human being by societal standards. And I really recognize that you're the first person who ever made me feel comfortable with also being a really weird human being by societal standards. 
And this one specifically, you have helped me with in my imposter syndrome journey well before I even knew I had this. So that one I specifically wanted to call out as something that I know you do, whether you realize you do it or not. I'm super glad that I could help there because being weird is way better than being normal. I emotionally agree with you. The part of my brain that logically processes imposter syndrome strongly disagrees with you and then refuse to let it hold you back. Quote, no matter how much you feel like you don't belong, don't let that stop you from pursuing your goals. Keep going and refuse to be stopped. End quote. I love all this in general. But easier said than done is still a thought crossing the minds of a lot of people. I'm confident, dear listeners, I'm on to you. Especially hearing the fact that this process takes, quote unquote, steps and time and effort, as well as the reality of the results not being immediate. And a lot of people work better with immediate results. Mm -hmm. Allie girl, I wanted to ask you, do you have any tips or tricks that you do for yourself to help you get through those moments of doubt? I am a person that when I get into those moments of doubt, I have a hard time seeing the forest for the trees. So I have a hard time seeing what I've accomplished versus what I have yet to accomplish. So my suggestion is to look back and see where you've been, not the hill that you're projecting you haven't climbed yet. Because sometimes where you've been is just as amazing as where you're going. I think that's a very valid perspective, and I really appreciate that without question. Absolutely. What about you? I don't have one uh, because I struggle with this to that point. But I did want to share a really great story and experience that I had and a perspective that I have been carrying with me to sort of help cope for myself that I think could be useful for other people. So shout out to my friend Michael. Uh, We recently had a conversation and I spent like 15 minutes just absolutely being my most confident self and talking myself up and absolutely just killing it, right? We were talking about something professional and I really sold myself and I was so excited and so proud and he was vibing with it. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere came my doubt. I know this man. I've known this man for like 15 years, long time. And he was like, Celeste, what the fuck did you just do? And he was like, you literally just sold me on you and then you killed it with doubt. This was his analogy. He said, your confidence and your delivery of yourself was like a root beer float. And you got so excited about it. And then your doubt came along, which was basically like you pouring vinegar in my root beer float. And that truly is what I recognize imposter syndrome is. It is taking the root beer float that is me or, dear listener, you, if you identify as somebody who struggles with imposter syndrome. And it's pouring vinegar directly in it. Mm -hmm. That sounds fucking terrible, honestly. Like, I cringed when he gave me that analogy. But now it's what I remind myself of or try to in those really hard moments. Like, am I being a root beer float? Or am I being vinegar and assessing it from that point? I enjoy vinegar. In a root beer float? No. Maybe. Never tried it. Well, go try it. Go try it. Let me know. All right. I'll report back. Gross. Probably. Disgusting. That was really all of my research on imposter syndrome. 
The only things that I wanted to end with were a couple of book resources on the topic because I really recognize that I had a very specific message that I wanted to share with this episode, which was that imposter syndrome is real and affects a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And there's a lot of perspectives to it that are super important. But if this is something that you specifically want to work through, I have two book suggestions that I thought were really great. Why Do I Feel Like an Imposter? How to Understand and Cope with Imposter Syndrome by Sandy Mann, M-A-N-N. And the second book is The Middle Finger Project, Trash Your Imposter Syndrome and Live the Unfuckwithable Life You Deserve by Ash Ambridge. That's a great book title and subtitle. I was really excited about it for that reason. Yeah. So now that I'm done with my research, what did you learn here today? First, I learned that I have something to greet everyone with when I walk into a room. I'm so glad we took that away from this episode. But my favorite part was the breakdown of all the different types of imposter syndrome, like the classifications. That was my favorite part. I really think that that helps people visualize where they could apply this to themselves. That sort of breaks up that perspective of, no, I definitely don't have that. Because it sounds a lot worse than it is. It sounds like a mental illness to say it's a syndrome. That's really just the classification that it is. And I think it is that way because specifically it is something that is very incongruent, honestly. It's not something that is permanently effective to someone's being unless you allow it to be that way. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. What did you learn here today? I have a lot of work to do on myself. I don't know. I, honestly, that's my answer from this episode. Humans are work in progress regardless. So kudos to that. I learned that my experiences are a lot more common and valid than I anticipated. Uh, some of the experiences that I have had that have not set well with me and I convinced myself were my doing. I recognize were not my doing while doing this research. And I think that that's what I learned here today. Probably a little bit of self-forgiveness. Good. I'm glad to hear that there was self-forgiveness in that. I really appreciated all the research that you did in this episode. I know it was a lot of introspection for you, so I appreciate that. Thank you. I just hope that it helps other people do a little introspection because I really recognize that my imposter syndrome has held me back from being successful in a lot of ways and I don't want to stand in the way of myself being successful especially because I refuse to let anyone else stand in the way of me being successful. So I really recognize that I am still a someone and I am standing in my own way more often than not. I think that introspection is something that we all could hear, and I hope that this opportunity provides that for people. Dear listeners, if this did help you, and if you also suffer from imposter syndrome, or especially if you suffer from imposter syndrome and this helped you, please let us know. As clarified earlier in this episode, feedback is always appreciated, and you can do so at our socials, which are Taboos the Pod on Instagram and Twitter. It's just taboos on Facebook or it's taboospodcast at gmail.com. We also have a website, which is taboosthepod.com. We also have a Patreon. There are a lot of fun things on there. Uh, I don't know if you know, but I posted the pickup lines and they're amazing. I did not know. 
Oh, I can't wait to go listen. I did not know. Dear listeners, if you want to hear some Taboo's approved pickup lines, sign up to be a Patreon. They're epic. They're so worth it. They're fantastic. The link to that is in our show notes. Otherwise, it's just Taboo's on Patreon. And I think that is it. You did excellent with that outro. Thank you so much. You did excellent with the research. I had to follow up somehow. And as always, dear listener, do you be taboos. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.